Well, you may not realize this uh, because time goes by fast when you're having fun, Uh, but I've been the pastor here now for over 13 years. I would venture to say that most of you say it's been the greatest 13 years of your life. Amen. Would you just testify that? No, that's, yeah, no. (laughs) We know that's not true. Well, and so mostly you know me pretty well, and I know many of you pretty well, but here's something that you may not know about me. It's uh, the fact that I'm actually bilingual. Did you know that? Uh, I'm actually fluent in English and sarcasm. Uh, it is my love language. If you're a sarcastic person, if that's a part of your sense of humor, uh, you are welcome home. I just want to share that, all right? And so because I love sarcastic humor and sarcasm so much, uh, this week when I was studying, uh, I absolutely love the passage that we're going to be in today, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to turn there with me this morning. And so we've been in this book now for a few months, working through the book of 2 Corinthians, and here in the second half of chapter 11, uh, some of Paul's sarcasm is going to rise to the top here uh, in the second half of chapter 11. One of the things we should remember is that God worked through human agency to pen the scriptures, and they did so with their unique personality in mind. So sometimes there's exaggeration, sometimes there's hyperbole used, sometimes there's sarcastic humor that's used. That certainly is the case here because basically in this section, uh, Paul starts off in verse 16, and what he says is, I'm going to brag a little bit. All right, I'm going to talk a little about myself, and I don't want to do that, but I'm at this place where I have to do that. And the reason is because all these super apostles or false teachers, uh, the Corinthians, were enamored with them. They were so impressive outwardly, and Paul was so not impressive outwardly. They were so eloquent of speech, and Paul said that my speech is no good at all. And so because they become enamored by all these outward appearances and all their outward impressiveness, Paul said, basically, if you want to go there, I'll go there, and we can kind of compare scorecards, all right? So that's what Paul is doing here at the beginning of chapter, six, or, uh, chapter 11, verses 16 uh, through 21. Let's pick up the passage here this morning. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. He's making fun of them a little bit. Like you've entertained these false teachers. Uh, You're just as foolish as they are for giving them an audience. Verse 20, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Now, a couple weeks ago in the series, we kind of gave a historical description of what many people said the Apostle Paul probably looked like physically. And the conclusion we made with uh, describing the Apostle Paul's appearance was this, not a looker, right? We gave that description there. And so let me add something else uh, to an outward descriptor of Paul as well. And that's this, trash talker, all right? Paul here is talking a little smack in the beginning of these verses, and the reason we know that he's uh, talking crazy is because he says himself that boasting in your strengths or bragging is the endeavor of fools, is what he says in these verses. He uses the word uh, boast six times in six verses. He used the word fool five times in these verses, and so uh, here is a fair question. It is foolish to boast in your strengths. Then what is the wise thing to do? 
And upon first blush at that, what we would think is, well, well, to not boast at all, right? Just to not brag on yourself, to not boast at all, we would think that would be the right answer, but not exactly. Here's what's unique about the upside-down logic of the kingdom and the economy of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ, rightly understood, actually invites us and calls us to boast, but in our weaknesses. That's the big idea I want to gravitate toward this morning, that there is a strength in weaknesses. If you're going to brag on anything, you should brag about how weak you are. Now, if that doesn't scream countercultural, I don't know what does. Because what our culture has conditioned us to do is not brag about our weaknesses, it's to conceal them, to manage them, not to celebrate them, and the gospel calls us just to the opposite, and here's why. Because what we have learned last week and this week we'll see as well is it's through our human weakness that God's divine power in us is activated. Through our weakness, Christ is made strong in us. So if you're gonna boast on anything, you should boast in your weakness because here's why it gives a platform for Jesus, amen? And so that's what he's describing here, but that's not the natural drift of our hearts, is it? The natural drift of all of our hearts is towards pride, toward boasting, all of those things. And so we have to be careful. Uh, So in our pursuit of Jesus, uh, here are two things we should pay careful attention to from this text this morning. The first one is this. We should be careful where we find our confidence. Now, confidence is an interesting thing, is it not? Uh, It is uh, about self-assurance, and and we've all encountered people who have a really low sense of self-confidence, and so that causes them to struggle in life. But we also know that that too high of a self-confidence can be incredibly detrimental as well. So there's a middle kind of the tightrope where I don't want to be too low in self-confidence where I can't even function, but too high of self-confidence puts me in a dangerous place. It's detrimental. Anybody been watching the NBA playoffs? Yeah, a couple of you in here. Three of you going to heaven. That's encouraging. All right. Well, here's if you've not. Let me fill in the gaps. The rest of you folks, I don't know what you're doing, right? So uh, in the NBA playoffs, a young player for the Grizzlies, a guy named Dylan Brooks, uh, started talking trash about LeBron James. And here's what he said. He said, he's old. That's what he said. Now, however you feel about LeBron James, you like him, you don't like him. So everybody in the room already should settle this before we move on. Michael Jordan's the greatest player ever, amen. So I just want to share that out there. It's in the Bible. Look it up, all right? But however you feel about LeBron, listen, he's one of the greatest players to ever lace up a pair of sneakers. And so that's one of the last people you should talk trash to. But Dylan Brooks' self-confidence was a little too high. And so here's what he said. He said, I don't respect anybody unless they drop 40 on me. Fast forward a few games and the Lakers end up closing out the series. And this is a little bit ironic. They win the last game by how many points? 40 points. And LeBron finishes with 20 points and 20 rebounds. You know what that math is? 40. So the Bible's true. Pride comes before a fall, right? But here's the point. Fools place a ton of confidence in themselves and in their uh, resumes. That's what the Bible's warning against when it talks about boasting in the flesh. It's boasting about something you feel like you've accomplished all by yourself because of your hard work or, or your charisma or your leadership gifts or your business savvy or your intellect or your eloquence, all those kinds of things. And that's what exactly was 
deceiving these Corinthians by the super apostles. There's all these outwardly impressive things. They were boasting about those things. And the Corinthians fell for it. They were roped into that. And Paul, here in these verses, says, hey, I'm going to brag a little bit. I don't want to. But I want to be real clear that to do that, I'm going to do it to make a point. But this is the activity of a fool, is the word Paul uses here. Now, the word fool in the Greek, it is defined as a person who lacks wisdom or good sense. It also literally can be translated ignorant. And do you know what a foolish, bragging person is ignorant of? They're ignorant of the fact that it's God's grace, not our gifts, that are the source of our blessings in life. God's grace, not our gifts. The Bible says this in the book of James, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. This Tuesday, Tasha and I will be celebrating our 25th anniversary this Tuesday. You're not clapping. I just want, Tasha's not clapping. I don't know what that means. So we're thinking about that. We we're going to take a trip. And we decided to put that off. And, and so we're talking about what to do. And so we're trying to figure out a plan. So I said to her, I said, baby, that's what I call her. <laughs> and she said, yes, stallion. <laughs> I, <laughs> I may be demon possessed. I don't know what's even going on. I said, what do you want to do for this momentous occasion? And without hesitating, missing the beat, she said, get my drink on. And I said, hey, I don't think we can do that. We work at a church. That's a bad idea, right? But in all seriousness, I don't know what it would look like to enjoy your marriage more than what we enjoy ours. And the only explanation I have for that is the grace of God. We got married really, really young. I was 22, Tasha was 17 and a half, she always says. We were dirt poor, I was still in college. We both came from broken homes. I had very little spiritual foundation. The spiritual foundation of Tasha had gotten all distorted by legalism. And so listen, let me give testimony this morning. Only God's grace could make a, take a foundation like that and bring a joy-filled marriage out of it. It would be the work of a fool to take any credit for God's work in our marriage. Paul leaves no doubt that boasting in the flesh, look what I did, look what we accomplished, look at all this we've achieved. He says, listen, that is the work of fools. Look at verse 21, what's he say? In case there's any doubt, he says, I am speaking as a fool. But he's willing to do it to make a point. Look on in verses 22 and 23. He says, you wanna, you wanna go there? You wanna, you wanna compare resumes? He said, I'll go there if you want to make a point. And so verse 22, he says, are they Hebrews? Talking about the false teachers. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. And this is gold right here. Look what he says in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one, right? Paul's basically saying, hey, I'm that guy. And so what he's basically telling you, he said, hey, if you want to compare externals and brag in the flesh and your accomplishments, then when we compare resumes in every single way, socially, religiously, culturally, linguistically, nationally, he said, I am superior to all of them in the externals. And, and even after his conversion, 
that there's no way they could have matched resumes with Paul. All the people he'd won to Christ, all he'd suffered for the sake of Christ, all the churches he'd planted and established, there was no comparison to any of those things. And even though his resume is factually true, Paul says to bring those things up, here's the language he uses, is to talk like a madman. That's the words he uses. It's the endeavor of a fool. Why? Because boasting in our weaknesses unlocks God's divine power in us and puts all the glory in Jesus' lap where it rightfully belongs. Now, we can hear that and we can say amen because we know that's the right response, right? But here's a fair question to wrestle with this morning. Where does your confidence come from? Let me ask you the same question from a different angle. Uh, When you're challenged, when you're doubted, when you're criticized, in response to that, uh, what comes out of your mouth in response? And remember, the Bible says that, that out of the mouth, the heart proceeds. And so if we're not careful, we can say amen to that in church. And yet when we're criticized, the very thing that we use to defend ourselves, justify ourselves, our worth, our, you know, all those things, is something in the flesh on the outside. And so let me offer up some potential sources of confidence that we may use to prove our worth to others when we've already been approved in Jesus Christ. Our last name and the reputation that's attached to it. Our unique and high-level talents that others may not possess. Our academic prowess or educational achievements or degrees and pedigrees, our career accomplishments or titles at work or leadership track record. Here's a big one that I see all the time, the performance of our children. Did you know that if we're not careful, parenting can become a competitive sport? And your children were never meant to bear the weight of your expectations, they were meant to bear the weight of God's glory through their lives. Our financial resources, look at me, I'm a success. Maybe it's who's in your contact list. You could pull out your phone and and look at my contact list. I could call this person right now. How many likes or retweets you get on social media? How many people share your stuff you post? There can be a source of confidence. We already know that's a source of depression. All the studies about teenage anxiety and depression are all connected back to social media. Maybe we brag about something that on the surface looks like a good thing. Our religious activity. Look at all the places I serve. Look at all the money that we give to kingdom causes. Look at my high level of Bible knowledge. So here's all those things. But if you're listening this morning, say amen. Amen. To brag about or to take refuge in any of those things is ignorant in the literal sense. And that's what the word fool means in the Greek. It means one who is ignorant. Here's why it's ignorant. If we're drawing our confidence or our fake confidence we're projecting from anything external, then what we're ignorant of is our value and identity in Jesus Christ, and we're also ignorant of the fact that it's through our weaknesses, not our strengths, that Christ's divine power is unlocked in us and through us for the glory of God. And you say, well, there's nothing impressive about my life. Hey, guess what? You're a great candidate to to display the glory of God. Because you see, when you project your strengths and people become convinced of your strength, who gets the credit for any progress in your life? It's you. 
Well, I could do that if I was as smart as them. I could accomplish that if I'd grown up in the same house with the same life's name as they have, if I had the advantage they have, if I had the gifts they have, those kinds of things. But when you say I'm a person who, who I feel very little gifts, listen, you then are a conduit for the glory of God to be unlocked and displayed in your life. And it's one thing to quote the gospel. It's a radically different thing to live out of that truth, isn't it? And it's not the only place in the Bible where Paul's firing off this gospel gun about Christ's strength and our weaknesses. Listen to Philippians 3, verses 4 through 9. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. I've got this incredible resume is what Paul's saying. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. There it is. I'm that guy. I'm circumcised in the eighth day. I'm from the people of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Listen to this, verse 7. Here's how he thinks about all the things now that he's in Christ. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, external achievements, I counted as loss. One translation says manure. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, he says, that comes from law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so here's what he's saying. He says, hey, whatever you've done on the outside, praise God, he's let you achieve it. Praise God, he's let you uh, enjoy the blessings of it. But at the end of the day, that's not where our confidence comes from. It actually comes from weaknesses because we know there is where Christ's power is unlocked. And we know there, that's where Jesus gets all the glory in our lives. And so be careful where your confidence comes from. And secondly, in this text, what he says is be careful what we value the most. Most of us, whether we realize this or not, place a high value on two things, control and comfort. Anybody sitting next to a control freak this morning? Just raise your hand up. Would you just, (laughs) you're scared. Blink your eyes real fast if you're scared, all right? My hand's raised. I like to engineer a certain outcome, right? And think about it. It feels like if I don't like comfort and control, it feels like what's the alternative to be out of control and uncomfortable? Who's praying for that? So there's nothing wrong with desiring those things, but the danger is when those desires become ruling desires in my life. We call that idolatry. And a ruling desire is this. It's when, yes, I desire those things, but a ruling desire becomes this, when my heart cannot and will not be satisfied until those things are in place. And I'm willing to do everything, including sin, to make sure those things are in place. That's when a desire becomes a ruling desire or an idol. And comfort and control can be ruling desires or idols in our lives. And so that's why we say all the time. That Christ doesn't just forgive our sins and take us to heaven one day, that in the in-between, he's actively, as we're walking with him, pursuing him, he's actively reorienting the affections of our heart on the inside until we get to heaven. Because you know why that doesn't happen? You know where we're going to drift naturally? Comfort and control. Maybe one of them, maybe 
both of them. And apart from Christ at work in us, uh, we don't have enough power in our sinful flesh to resist those things. That's boasting in the flesh. And so while there's hope in the power of the gospel, can we just be honest? It is really, really hard to lay aside, not only to identify, but to lay aside the idols of comfort and control, isn't it? And it, listen, it depends on which day you catch me. I like one more than the other. There's some days I like both of them. And so it is hard to lay those things aside. Now, let me say this for the one thousandth time. We do what we do because our heart wants what it wants, and our heart wants what it wants because we believe what we believe. You ever look at someone and go, why do they do that? That's why. You ever look at yourself and go, why do I do that? That's why. We do what we do because our heart wants what it wants, a level of desire and affection. And the reason we desire those things is because we believe what we believe. And so when it comes to the uh, idol of comfort and control, there are lots of wrong beliefs that are driving that desire, which drives that behavior. And so for the sake of time, let me just zero in on one wrong belief. And here it is. The reason we desire those things is because here's what we believe. We deserve it. We've worked hard. We've been responsible. We deserve comfort. We deserve to have a life that, yes, we can't manage all the details. Yes, we believe and say amen to the fact that God's sovereign and providence happens and all those things. But what we think is, uh, listen, can we just be honest? What we think is when a person has no control in their life, what we think in a prideful standpoint is you should just be more responsible and work harder like I do, right? Now, everybody look up here. Here's the tension. What we really want comfort and control, what we really want on a heart level, because we think we deserve it, what we really want is actually not what we signed up for in Jesus. That's the tension. My heart longs for comfort and control because what I believe is I deserve it. I may believe that I can't trust God with the outcomes of my life. I may believe I couldn't endure persecution. Like all kinds of wrong beliefs drive that desire which drives that behavior, but just zero the one, I think I deserve it, but the problem is this. What you want, comfort and control, is not what you signed up for when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. There is the tension. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Now listen, that doesn't sound comfortable to me, does it you? That's what you signed up for. How about this one? If anybody likes control. Jesus said, if any man desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know what that is? That's a loss of control. That's what you want. That's what you signed up for, though. How about this one? Jesus said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know what persecution is? It's not a synonym for comfort or control. That's what you want, but that's not what you signed up for. What we signed up for is a life of sacrifice and suffering, and in the end, one day in glory, you'll look up and say, all this sacrifice and all this suffering, when you see Jesus face to face, what you will say is, it was worth it. Verse 
If I could go back and run it back again, I would have suffered more for the cause of Christ. I would have sacrificed more for the cause of Christ. And our suffering will be distinct from Paul's. It's true. But suffering will mark the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. So listen, here's the bad news. If your game plan is to boast in your strengths, the bad news is that suffering and sacrifice will eventually beat that out of you. Remember how strong and vibrant you were for you have kids? Remember that? I'm just speaking from my heart this morning a little bit, right? From a dark place. You woke up the day you got a great night of sleep. Remember when your kids are really little and you could sleep, and then when you had little kids, you woke up and there's the devil face to face with you at two in the morning. My daughter moved back in a while back, my oldest daughter, and she brought with her two cats. Bible says all dogs are going to heaven. Amen. And the one cat's the biggest cat I've ever seen in my life. He's so big and so strong and so obese that he can literally stand up and open our door at night. You talk about freaked out. You hear the door open, you look up, and there's two yellow demonic eyes looking at you. Remember when you woke up? And it was a Saturday for our kids. You're like, I got nothing to do today. Can we just be honest? Everybody's got kids. When a coach calls, says the game's canceled, you're like, praise God. Thank you. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, here's the problem. Life has a way, in real ways, of taking all the strength out of you. Does We live in a fallen world. And signing up to serve Jesus, listen, is a life of not boasting in our strengths because suffering and sacrifice will take all of that away from you. It is coming to the place of boasting in our weaknesses. Now, some of that's common because we live in a fallen world. You're going you're gonna to experience that. Some of that is unique to Paul and, and his gospel journey. Uh, so listen to some of Paul's suffering. Pick up the text in verse 23. In verse 23, again, he's bragging about his accomplishments, not, not because he wants to because that's where they want to go. So what's he say? He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments. These guys want to say they've suffered for, for the gospel. Paul says, I've had far greater labors, far greater imprisonments. With countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journey, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Paul's middle name is Danger. Did you know that? Toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold exposure, and apart from other things, so all these external things, the hardships, he said, listen to this, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who's weak? And I'm not weak? Who's made to fall? And I'm not indignant? 
If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, as we look briefly at Paul's suffering, some of them are just life of first century Christianity. If you were to travel in the first century, it was dangerous. Often they would fall in the hands of robbers and thieves. Listen, if you're traveling by boat, it wasn't Royal Caribbean. It's something you cobbled to get. Listen, a better picture, think of this, VBS popsicle stick craft. That's, that's, that's a better picture, right? It capsized, it leaked, you know, robbers would come. You might experience harsh waters, capsize. You might endure sleepless nights. Listen, if you'd have means, you'd go hungry for days. You'd have to sleep outside. Those were the common struggles of life in the first century, right? But... Paul says there are some unique struggles that came into my life, not because it was common of life in the first century, but because I was pursuing Jesus with my life. What are those unique things? It's what we just read through. Imprisoned and nearly beaten to death. Did you realize this? That Paul experienced some form of imprisonment or was in custody for seven years total of his life for the sake of the gospel. 39 lashes on his back from the Jews because 40 was violated the law. And it happened once, five times. Shipwrecked three times. Beaten with rods and stoned. And the end game of a stoning was not to hurt them, it was death. These weren't, you know, little pebbles or flicking at people, those kinds of things. They were huge boulders, the highest they could carry, the heaviest they could carry, throwing them onto someone's chest. And Paul said in the book of Acts that he experienced that in Lystra. And what's Paul say? I was weak and I was powerless. I couldn't stop any of it. But praise God, I'm going to boast in my weakness because then Christ power isn't unlocked in me and through me, and he gets all the glory for sustaining me. Praise his name. And if we're honest, what we often think is that suffering in our lives, if we're honest, what it feels like emotionally, what we're afraid is true, even though we know it's not true, is that in those times when life gets hard, what we're afraid of is that God has, in fact, abandoned me. But what we see in Paul's life and what will be true in our life is that while suffering and deep sacrifice are painful, they're spiritually profitable if we'll remain under them instead of running away from those things in rebellion. Why? Because it's God working through our weakness. Listen, write this down. Weakness is a gift according to the gospel. Culture says it's something to be ashamed of. Paul says it's something to glory in, to boast in our weaknesses. So it's not God moving away from us. It's God giving us an occasion to boast. And secondly, listen, it gives evidence that we belong to Jesus and we're on mission for him. Listen to the insight from one commentary. Paul's catalogs of suffering is the greatest argument for his apostolic authority because it demonstrates his solidarity with God. Christ suffered, Paul, Christ's apostle, suffers. As we understand our own trials and sufferings in this light, we discover that, listen to this, far from disqualifying us from experiencing and proclaiming the gospel, they actually qualify us for it. 
And I want you to listen to this if you've experienced some pain and brokenness in your life. I want you to listen to this. God uses the hardest and most shameful experiences of our lives to soften us and bring us to fuller understanding of His surpassing benefits. In our isolation from the world's provision, we learn that we're fully satisfied when Jesus is our portion. He uses our sufferings to demonstrate His sufficiency. Listen, and He uses our afflictions as occasion for dispersing comfort and the deepest realities of His abiding care. Paul experienced all of this externally. He experienced it internally as well. What did he say in verse 28? On top of all these physical hardships that I just rattled off this list for, not only that, but I've also got the internal agony I've been carrying on behalf of these churches that I love deeply. Look at verse 28. What's he say? Apart from other things, that list, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Newsflash. When you commit to loving others, you are signing up for carrying anxiety on their behalf. Am I right? Every parent knows that who's watched a 16-year-old pull out of the driveway for the first time. Every parent's experienced that when they dropped off that 18-year-old at boot camp or at college. They understand that, that I'm, I'm not just saying, well, you're, you're gone. My job is done here. Paul says, I won you to Christ. I planted that church. I moved on. But I still carry the load of anxiety because I love you deeply. To serve Jesus faithfully is to love other people deeply and to be on mission dangerously. Now, can we just be honest? Sometimes when we talk about being persecuted for the sake of the gospel in America, we, we don't always know what that looks like, and sometimes we, we're ashamed of that, that we don't understand persecution like our friends around the world. So what does it look like for us and suffering and sacrificing for the sake of the gospel to the point we can boast in our weaknesses? Let me give you a couple things here that I wrote down this week. There's the danger of being rejected as a gospel messenger in a post-Christian culture. There's the danger of getting canceled for preaching an exclusive gospel in an intolerant, inclusive culture. There's the danger of being called a bigot for kindly but convictionally holding up a biblical sexual ethic. There's a danger of seeking justice on behalf of those who are experiencing injustice in a social media mob mentality. There's the danger of loving people deeply and having them turn their back on you painfully. As they run from the Lord in rebellion, their sacrifice and suffering in loving Jesus. And yes, my heart too naturally desires comfort and control, but that's not what I signed up for. What I signed up for was suffering and sacrifice, and in enduring that, I'll come to the place of weakness. And then, then, God looks at our weakness, and here's what God says, finally, you're at a place where I can use you. Finally, you're at a place where you'll depend on me and not your strengths. Finally, you're going to run to me instead of food or sex or pornography or achievement for refuge. Finally. And Paul said, 
I could brag about these things because, listen, better, anybody's a servant, I'm a better one, I'm that guy. But it's a fool's endeavor. And I'm going to boast in my weakness because it's through my weakness that God's divine power is unleashed in my life. But that message doesn't sell tickets, does it? J.H. Golden wrote, the prevailing tendency in the present day church, listen to this, is to make religion too easy. Be kept within the realm of convenience and comfort. Rarely is there a call for real sacrifice. By means of suppers and sales, people are tricked into giving. Through entertainments and other alluring programs and efforts made to inject a little religion into the unsuspecting, and when people have come into the church, the greatest care is exercised to spare them so that only a minimum of them is asked. J.H. Goldner wrote those words in 1926. And so a good question to wrestle with as we wrap up today is this. What stories do we have? What gospel stories do we have about our weaknesses and our sufferings and our sacrifice? Not because it's common in a fallen world, but because we're pursuing Jesus with our lives. Are you willing to yield your life to the Lord without reservation, blank check? Look, God, whatever you want to do, blank check. Whatever suffering, whatever sacrifice, blank check. My life is in your hands. Paul handed himself over to Jesus without reservation. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, hey, I'm all in. I'm all in. And when it's hard, and when I'm suffering, and when there's deep, deep personal sacrifice, what a gift. Because now, I can experience Christ's divine power. Now, whatever progress I make, Jesus gets the glory, not me. What a gift. Now, if you hear that and you think, good night, how in the world do you actually live like that? Come back next week and I'll tell you. Would you bow your heads this morning? your head bowed this morning, I would ask you two questions. Number one, do you know Jesus Christ, the suffering Savior, who sacrificed his life on the cross of Calvary as payment for your sins? If the answer is no or I'm not sure, then listen, you're not here today by accident. And the most important decision you'll ever make in your life is in this moment. And so I would encourage you, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you never trusted in Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins, then right where you're at, by faith, right now, would you confess your sins before a holy God? Confess just means to agree that you're, you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. Would you express a desire to turn from sin and self-righteousness? We call that repent. And by faith today, in Christ alone, through grace alone, would you receive Jesus Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins? You can do that right in your seat this morning. You don't have to go to a certain part of the room to do that. You can pray and receive Jesus Christ right now as your Lord and Savior if you've never done that. But for those of you who have, let me ask you this. Are you battling bitterness because suffering and sacrifice in your life? 
Are you battling resentment towards the Lord because you've tried to leave, live a life of obedience and what it seems like you got in return is more suffering and more sacrifice? It's easy to get there. We've all been there. If that's you this morning, number one, would you repent of that? Would you repent of blaming God? But number two, by faith, would you pray and pray this prayer, dangerous prayer. Lord, thank you for the gift of weakness. And would you pray right now, Lord, help me to use this weakness, this suffering, this season of sacrifice to connect to your divine power. And God, during this time, use me as a conduit to display the glory of Jesus to the world around me. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ because we need his help and because we can. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.